Well, I want to take you uh, on a, a story that I read this week. I don't know what you spend your free time doing. I think I spend too much time searching for interesting things. And don't even ask me why. For some reason, I ended up on the Geico site, and they had these interesting stories. This particular one was, it had nothing to do with insurance either, so, which is half of what they do all the time anyway. But there was a story that happened. A, a father and his daughter were in Bangor, Maine, uh, doing a college visit. They were from New York. They'd finished the visit, and he had put into their GPS the rental agency by the airport to go to. They began to follow the GPS and realized after a while, man, we're getting further and further away from the city, confused by it. And the further away they got, it kept saying they were closer to the point where it gave it a final turn. And indeed, they turned into a graveyard, at which point in time the GPS said, you have reached your destination. <laughs> Tell me that's not frightening, huh? They were following but led in the wrong place in the wrong way. Now, I, I tell you that because it's just kind of interesting, but it's also an encouragement, a challenge to us because in this whole days of prayer that we have, we already began looking at what's it mean to follow Jesus. And I want to pose a question to you. If you're online, you're welcome to talk about it in the chat with the people you're around here in the campus, just even be thinking about this. But I want you to ask the question, and it's specific to faith, has anyone, anybody been significantly involved in your learning to follow Jesus? In other words, have they kind of helped you follow them as they follow him? We call that discipling. We call that being a follower. What we talked about last week, this beautiful idea. And then in the same way, have you ever helped someone else make that journey, not just to discovery, but learn to walk with? And the reason I ask it, even as you're contemplating it or considering it, is I often find there might be someone that's been involved in our lives in a moment, and maybe even uniquely, someone has really sat with us and helped us discover how we cultivate connection to the Lord, how we walk in this thing. But oftentimes, most of it, we have to kind of figure out on our own. We don't really experience someone discipling us. And then take it another iteration out, because I've been asking this question of lots of Christ followers, and even if they've had the experience of someone else doing it for them, very few, another lower fraction of that, have ever considered how they might help others. Now, I say that to us just simply because I think we have missed out on the very design of Christ, this idea that he's a rabbi and he makes disciples and they make disciples and they make disciples that we live and learn to follow and then we help others to do it. And so I want to remind us while we have group life coming up in the next month, we want you to engage. It's a way we are discipled together in community. And I even want to say to some of you, not only to engage in group, but guess what? You can lead. One of the biggest lies we believe is that we must know more in order to disciple. And what it really is, is stepping into. We saw that last week as we began this series. And Jesus picks these young men that really had failed out, if you will, of disciple school. And he said, come follow me. The criteria of Jesus is willingness and really teachability. You want to know if you can lead, that's all you need to do to lead. And so I want to encourage you. We'd love to have you engage in that, allshores.org slash groups. Be praying about that. Let me get back to where we're going and where we've been. Last week, we began to tell the story of Jesus through Matthew's lens. There are four accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Matthew is one of them. And it, this story began in the fourth chapter of this lovely telling, this retelling of what happened, where Jesus calls four different young men, two at a time, to follow him. He says this, come follow me. 
And we said simply, we learn to follow him one step at a time, that it's not just learning what he learns, it's walking where he walks and living like he lives. So week one, we looked at the invitation that God has for all of us to be close to him and to walk in a new way with him. Now what we're going to do in the next three weeks, as we get through these 21 days together, kind of alongside of it, is this week we're going to look all through Matthew's account, and really there are a bunch of times that we see this word follow, that it's these calls that people follow Jesus. So they break into two major categories. One are kind of the blessings and benefits that draw people, and the other are the costs and difficulties that often cause people to step away. This week, we're going to look at those blessings and benefits, and then the final week, we're going to look at one person's life and what that was like to follow him. So as we look today, we're going to continue in the very same passage we started last week where Jesus invited these people to follow him, and we take it from the next step. Jesus then went through Galilee all throughout it, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. By the way, when it says synagogues, because many of these villages are small, they don't have a physical building, so he literally means the gathering, where they gather. Much like we see the church today, it's not about a building, it's about the people. They're gathered together, he proclaims the good news of the kingdom, and heals every disease and sickness among the people. Now, I want you to see something in this. It's a pattern of Jesus that he uses. Remember, we're learning to follow him. That means we become like him and we live like him. What Jesus does regularly is he proclaims the good news. In other words, he teaches and explains, but he doesn't just explain, he demonstrates. In other words, it's not a kingdom we just talk about and reason. It's a kingdom of experience and power. And so he, he proclaims it, and then guess what? He heals every disease. He demonstrates it. Now, what do you think would be the impact if that began to happen all through an area? It tells us. News about him spread all over Syria. And people who were brought to him, all who were ill with various diseases. And it gets very specific. Oftentimes what happens is we reason away these accounts to try to make them much more rational and much less miraculous when indeed they are miraculous. It gets specific. Guess what the illnesses were? Deep diseases. They were those who suffered severe pain, the demon-possessed, those who were living with demonic oppression or possession, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. <laughs> now, now, that should cause us to stop for a minute. It, tell me that's not crazy. Is that not amazingly crazy? Now, I want to tell you this because I am concerned we have reasoned Jesus down to domesticate him. We said, you know what? We just have to explain things and let people pick, and we miss the power of Jesus. Proclamation and demonstration. For those of you that might even wonder about this, that you might begin to refute it based on kind of history, well, people didn't understand in the ancient world, Craig Keener, a New Testament theologian, has written a wonderful book. It's an extensive kind of research from that time in history on miracles. And in it, he compares miracle stories from all these different sources. Because people would oftentimes in reasoning, they say, well, it's just the church has taken this from other places. And what he conclusively sees is just how different the working of Jesus is, the accounts of Jesus are, that it's like no other. So if you want to know, you can actually get into it and read it, but I, I didn't want to miss explaining that because it's a bit of what we're combating right now. Following Jesus means we live like Jesus. And so if Jesus did these things, it means we're called and invited 
to participate in the very same way. Here's the outcome of it. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. People began to follow that were helpless and hopeless because they found help and hope in the power of God. It's crazy. Jesus didn't go to any major cities. He didn't go to any places of persuasion or influence. He went to the helpless and hopeless. And in their helplessness and hopelessness, they followed him. They were drawn to him. I wonder if we're missing out in two ways. One is, I think for many of us, we don't feel helpless and hopeless. And I'm certainly not trying to depress you but I want to shake loose from you or get the scales off your eyes to thinking that your comfortability and kind of your ease of life and security are what make you free. What we often have is an illusion of not being helpless or hopeless when the things that matter most, none of those decorums around us change a thing. But the other side of it is, if we're to follow Jesus, it means we're to go where there is helplessness and hopelessness. That's the call of the church. Not to be comfortably together in a place that works well and keeps us secure and in the place we want to be. Imagine these disciples are just following him to all these places, probably wondering, why aren't you going here? Why aren't you going there? Why aren't you demonstrating this in a place that will have broader interest that you can take over and take power? I just wonder, has our reason and our comfortability kept us from following him into the places that we need to go? And I wonder, are we settling for so much less of Jesus to try to reason with people? Hey, it's a reasonable thing to consider. Instead of going, Lord, we want to proclaim and demonstrate. And guess what? You got to move or we can't change a thing. Imagine if you and I actually started being upset that we're not seeing more power from God in situations around us. I think we've settled. And I know for me, even during this 21 days, one of the new and kind of renewed prayers for me is, God, I want to see your power and demonstration. I don't know how I'm missing, but Lord, would you move? We need you. What a great thing to begin to pray. I'm not satisfied with, because I'll tell you, all through history, we've seen the power of God move through the life of the church. And right now, we're so preoccupied instead with a different kind of power that I wonder what would draw people more to him. And I don't even wonder out of not knowing it's clear in scripture. Now let me continue with this in mind. In fact, following Jesus continues all through Matthew's account. There are many references to this and there's a pattern every time it happens. One after another after another. And we're only gonna look today at the positive ones, those ones that were drawing people towards him Next week, we're going to look at the cost of what this means. But let me just start with Matthew 8. We're going to keep going as we go through. So in Matthew 8, there are two events that happen. One is that there's a large crowd following Jesus. He's been teaching. He's been healing. He's doing these larger things where he teaches. And then it tells us again and again, everyone there, he heals. I mean, can you imagine every situation getting better? That's what he does. In this particular account, he runs across a man with leprosy. Now, with leprosy, no one can touch you. No one can come near you. This man is crying out, and Jesus asks, what do you want me to do? 
Now that alone is not only scandalous, it's an amazing change of how Jesus looks at power. Because typically with someone in that context, they have no voice and should not speak. The very thing that Jesus offers is, what would you like? I am giving you power in your helplessness. Tell me what you want. It may seem obvious, but the very act of Jesus is giving a voice to the voiceless. Man says, I want to be clean. And Jesus not only pronounces it, he touches him and heals him. We always call it the gospel of touch because Jesus touches the untouchable. You realize he shouldn't touch him because he's unclean. But Jesus makes him clean, which makes Jesus clean. It's all good. Power of God, following the way of God, we touch the untouchable. We help the helpless. We cry out to God to change what's going on. And this man is healed, and Jesus says, hey, don't say anything. Just go to the priest and show him that's what you're supposed to do. We move on, and through that, all these people who are following him are watching. Oh, this is how Jesus works. He heals people. That's what he does. That's how he moves. They're now getting the taste of it. Now, would you not want to keep following a dude that was making that happen everywhere you went? Oh, come on. The power of God's moving. The helpless are finding help. The hopeless are finding hope. The untouchable are now touchable. Oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. They keep following. He now comes across a centurion. This guy, this leader, military leader, has someone in his serving, someone that's serving in his home that has had some kind of injury and is deeply in pain. The person comes and says, oh, Jesus, will you help my servant who's in miserable pain? And Jesus says, well, do you want me to come there? And the guy says, no, no. I understand authority. If you just say it, man, I know it changes. So Jesus turns to all of the followers that are watching and goes, hey, I want you to see. I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. This dude is not even one of the Israelites, and yet he's inspiring us to believe in the authority and the power of God. Just say the word, and Jesus does, and he's healed. Come on, is that not good? Would you not want to follow? And do you hear the call following Jesus? There's this beautiful power to it. There's this beautiful transformation. These things that no one could change are being changed. Oh my goodness. And it continues in Matthew 9. Now we get to an individual case where he's traveling and two blind men, it says, follow him. Now it doesn't say how. They're probably just screaming out, son of David, have mercy on us. And again, he gives power. What would you like me to do? Boy, we want to see. He touches their eyes and the blind see. He takes those with no sight and gives sight because that's how Jesus moves. By the way, in case you haven't seen it yet, Jesus' healing is a huge part of how he demonstrates the kingdom. But it's always to those who are most weak and struggling and lame and oppressed. And the crowd see this, and they continue to follow him. I mean, the, the plot is building up. Even though he tells this group not to share it, they do. It creates all sorts of mess for him. Now we get to Matthew 12. In this account, Jesus has actually been in the synagogue. He's, it's a Sabbath day. There's a man with a shriveled hand there. And it tells us, mystically, Jesus knows these religious leaders are watching on, oh, he better not heal this guy because it's the Sabbath and you're supposed to rest. What they forget is the law always is trumped by life whenever there's difficulty. And Jesus knows what they think. He says to the man with the shriveled hand, reach it out. The man reaches it out and it grows. Come on. That should not be something we just go, I understand that's a reasonable thing to happen. God is God and, you know, he'll do stuff like that. But I don't see it. 
what we should say is, that's amazing. I want to see it. I am not settling for reasonable. That's not the way the kingdom works. You and I need to become dissatisfied and start asking God, please, we want to see the good stuff. Anyway, after he does this, it's crazy because a bunch more people follow him. Now, at the same time, a bunch of the religious people want to kill him. In case you think God moving in power makes everyone happy, it does not. And what we do know is the religious people are so concerned that he's going to wreck their comfortable religious way of life that they would sooner get rid of him than deal with him. And I'm telling you, as people who are predominantly comfortable and in a good way of life, we need to be careful. It's much easier for us to condemn than to actually look for how God might move. It's just a caution. Let me take you, though, to the next one, and this is the one we're going to look at more in depth because it's the one time we get kind of a bigger explanation of what happens. So we have these people that want to kill him, and then it says this in the next part of Matthew 12. Aware of this, knowing this bad stuff's happening, Jesus withdraws from that place. And a large crowd followed him again. They can't get enough. And guess what he does? He heals all who were ill. Crazy again. Come on. I just don't want you to be normalizing this. This is amazing. He warns him not to tell others about him. That's not what he's trying to do. And then he explains what he is trying to do, or he doesn't, but actually Matthew does. He tells of a prophecy, and that's where I want us to gauge into because it gives a bigger picture of what Jesus is going through and what he's about right now. And so I want to walk through this with you a little more in detail and even highlight a few things for you um, because I just think they're very interesting and very meaningful. So this is what the prophecy says. Here is my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love, the one in whom I delight. He's speaking of Jesus, of Messiah. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Now this is what he's saying is Jesus' mission, to bring justice, to make things right that are not. Now you would ask, how's he gonna do this? And I wanna remind you, the same thing happened last week when we looked at him calling these people to follow him. It said that he was bringing light to the darkness and we all think, well, how will he do that? And he goes to a place in a kind of a unique area in Galilee along a seashore and starts inviting people to follow him that have not been highly religious or successful, have no power or prestige. So I want you to keep that in mind. Remember, the way Jesus moves is differently than we expect. He's gonna bring justice to the nations. How will he not do it? Well, he won't do it through quarreling or crying out. Now, I want to be clear on what this means. Crying out can also literally mean to shout in the Hebrew. This is, this is basically saying he's not going to do it by trying to dominate and force his way in. Quarreling, crying out, and no one will hear his voice in the city, in the streets. In other words, he's not going to move out in power the way we think we should move in power. Now, I didn't intend this for today, but this should be something our radar go off in because we somehow think in our very nation, we're in a culture war to fight, to quarrel, to shout, and that is not the way of Jesus. Listen to the way of Jesus. A bruised reed he will not break. By the way, a bruised reed is very simply... It's a, simply a, a, a liar, longer uh, piece of uh, vegetation that is used to measure or to support. If it's bruised, it's highly likely it could falter. In other words, it could just snap and be done. So he's pointing to the weak and the weary and a smoldering wick 
he will not snuff out. That light which is about to go out, he's going to the places where light's about to go out, where bruised and helplessness are about to find their demise. I just want you to connect this. That's how he's gonna bring justice to the nations. And it says he's gonna keep doing it till he's brought justice to victory. And in his name, the nations will put their hope. Now I'm telling you, this is such a great answer in the midst of the crud we're in right now. Come on, we are so freaked out and worried about what's going on in quarreling and in power and the way of Jesus is, ah, ah, you've settled for a lower power. My power, my power goes to the helpless and the hopeless. My power moves to give something no one else could in ways no one else could. You wanna see justice change the world? It will be through my power to the helpless and the hopeless oh man, that's how I move. And it speaks to us directly because we all have our own places of struggle and difficulty. You know what? Our helplessness is what draws us to follow Jesus. It's a very simple idea. Our own helplessness is what draws us to him. And I don't know where you are in your faith, and maybe you're pretty self-reliant. Maybe you believe that your comfort and your own accomplishments are what have set you to live in the place you live right now in the way it set you to live. And I would just say to you, we actually are more helpless than we know. The worst thing is that sometimes what we get is an illusion of not being in need. And so our own place, it may hinder us from following Jesus because we look at him as a constituent or an asset, not as the God who we need in everything. Now, I'm not telling you not to appreciate what you have or how your life is, but I'm telling you not to rest in it. Because there's a danger to living a life that says, I must have and I will live here because it leads you to quarreling and it leads you to shouting out and it leads you to a demand for power. Not for the way of Jesus, which is to go to the helpless and the hopeless. In the same way, we can miss the call of Jesus that the way his kingdom comes is by going to the helpless and the hopeless and helping a world in need. And it has to be supernatural. It can't just be us physically, though it's partly that. You and I need to ask God to move in ways we maybe never have. Let me just show you in the last few passages that this continues on after this, how it continues the same way. In Matthew 14, Jesus learns that his close family relative and kind of one who goes before him, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. He tries to go away to be alone, probably just to grieve, and it says the crowds followed him because he just want to be with them. And what happens in that is Jesus looks at them and he has compassion. By the way, that is key for us. You want to live like Jesus, you have to start seeing people with compassionate eyes, with a compassionate heart. In the midst of his own grief, he has compassion. It says he healed all of them. Tell me that's not the best response to grief. Life is horrible. I am in grief. Let me heal a bunch of people. That is just, that rocks for me. We get to Matthew 19, happens again. Jesus teaches, he proclaims, he demonstrates. Many follow him, he heals them. We get to Matthew 20. It's kind of the final episode of this particular issue of just kind of the simplicity of following him. And these two individuals are again crying out to him. And this kind of time the crowd's frustrated. They tell them basically to stop shouting and they shout louder. They're again people that are blind. 
And it even reminds me in the midst of following Jesus, we can become frustrated with the cries of others instead of hearing the heart of God going, we need to help the helpless and give hope to the hopeless and touch the untouchable and heal the sick. He touches their eyes, he heals them, and they follow him. Jesus, the healer who brings hope to the nations, not out of power and dominance, not being in the city, not demanding, not shouting, not quarreling, but going to the bruised reed, going to that wick, that place that's just about snuffed out, bringing compassion and healing, bringing hope to the hopeless and help to the helpless, touching the untouchable, healing the sick. I love what we're inspired to do. I'm kind of grieving and crying out and how we're not there. And I don't mean just our church, I mean the church in general. You start to ask the question, where's the kingdom today? Where's the church today? In this way of Jesus, in this messed up, demanding, screaming world, what is God calling us to in following him? And make no mistake, following him is better than having a comfortable, predictable, secure life. It goes to the helpless and the hopeless, to the untouchable, to the sick. And we risk actually saying, God, heal, because we don't know how. I want to give you one final story and then just have us kind of consider how to pray in this. The last episode where they follow him in Matthew's account is when he's coming into Jerusalem for what we know today as Palm Sunday. He's coming in to be the lamb that's selected and they are cheering and chanting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's riding on a donkey. There's a prophecy about this. And they're waving palm branches, which for Israel is their national flag. They're in essence saying, Jesus, come and make Israel great again. Make us the place it should be. They want a power that calls out. They want a power that quarrels. They want a power that is in the city making its way and he grieves because his power is so much better than that. Man, don't settle for comfortability and predictability in your way. Go to the helpless and the hopeless. <laughs> oh my goodness, don't just go there. Go and ask God to move because they can't do it on their own and we can't do it on our own. Touch the untouchable, heal the sick. That's the invitation of Jesus. Follow me into something so much better than predictability and security. We cannot put him in a box. And his power is greater than the power that we're at cultural odds over right now. I wonder if we started praying for that this week, what might change? I wanna pray for us. I'm asking God to speak to you. I don't, I'm not here to rattle your cages or offend you, but I am here to boldly proclaim how Jesus moves. And if that needs to shake you a bit, please let it shake you. But I also want to say to any of you who are with us and you're hopeless, helpless, untouchable, and sick, we just want to pray. I cannot dictate what God does, but I'm going to start crying out more and more. It's so funny, I don't think we pray for things because we're scared they won't happen and we'll look bad. I don't care. I don't care if I look silly. I'd rather look silly and keep asking for it because somewhere along the way it's going to happen. 
and I'm not settling for a reason anymore. Let's pray. Oh, God, (laughs) we're helpless to know how to even move on our own. God, I pray you'll start in our minds that we wouldn't settle for things that are less than you. We wouldn't push for the battle in the wrong place in the wrong way. God, I want us to hear your invitation to go to the helpless and the hopeless. I want you to meet us in our helplessness and hopelessness. I pray for any with us in any place right now, Lord, would you move in power and bring your kingdom, show them, demonstrate your goodness in their life. God, if it's physical healing touch there, if it's mental kind of torment, bring freedom from that. If it's emotional pain, bring healing, Lord. If it's anything touchable, untouchable, whatever we know and don't, God, would you bring your power and your kingdom to show them how you love them and you're with them and you're for them. And Lord, I pray we'll hear the call to follow you. Follow you, not you the way we want you to be. So God, would you be moving us into this and will you help us to be people that follow you and that lead others to follow you, that we are disciples and we are disciple makers. Lord, have your way with us. And for those who are with us, God, that are just pursuing or seeking or questioning, would you whisper, would you give them a thought, would you give them peace to know you're here and you're with them and you love them? Lord, I just ask you to move. I can't do any of this and we can't, but we want the good stuff. We want the higher calling of your kingdom, not the lower calling of comfortability and predictability. We give it to you, Lord. Say, have your way. In your name, amen.